This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. People are comfortable lending to me because they know at the end of the day that I live, I breathe, I, this is me. This is who I am. And, you know, I, and, and I'm not going anywhere. I put, you know, I put myself out there. So that's the other thing is really, truly, if you don't believe in yourself, no one else is going to believe in you. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's going on, everyone? This is Jonathan Farber, your host of the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I hope you're all well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thanks for being here. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little background on myself, I work in corporate America at a software company and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight rental units and looking to add more this spring. I have house hacked, bird, flipped, and done short-term rentals to name a few strategies. My current focus is 20 to 30 unit apartment buildings in Ohio and Kentucky. I love to network and learn. So if you'd like to connect further, feel free to find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or BiggerPockets. What's up, guys? Today, we have another awesome guest, Willie Mandrell. Willie is based in Boston, and we first connected on LinkedIn. Since then, I've been following a couple of his deals and been really impressed with his attitude and the types of deals he's doing. And I thought he'd be a perfect guest for this audience because he is in an expensive city or quote unquote expensive city being Boston. And he overcame that to scale his business to over 40 units and $10 million worth of property. Um, we'll get into story and all that, but he started with an FHA loan that he quote unquote house hacked, meaning he lived in one part of it, put very little money down and rented out the other. Um, and that's how he got started in, in his business. And now he's done some awesome stuff with starting meetups and coaching and scaling his business. He's on his path to financial freedom, which we talked about a little in the episode today. Um, and that really stood out actually as something that I think everyone can do. And that's how he started actually planning and executing on his goal based on what his financial freedom number was. So we get into all that and it's really interesting to hear. I think there's a lot to be learned from that. The other thing that stood out from this episode, and if you guys have the chance to actually take notes during this part, I think it'd be very effective. So if you're driving, just be aware of that. But basically he digs into how he works with private money lenders to finance and partner on his deals. This is one that I hear all the time that people don't know how to get the money or they run out of loans and now they, they think they have to stop. But he has a really interesting strategy and step-by-step walkthrough of how you actually partner with these people to make it a fair deal for both sides and how you can keep scaling your business using other people's money. I think people often gloss over the details of that, but we just stopped and dug right into it. So I learned a lot on that. And it's actually how I'm going to be maybe structuring some of my deals with private money investors in the, in the months to come, but how I think anyone can, or just use a step-by-step guide to implement in their business. So today's tangible tip is the five minute journal. Um, I put a picture of it up somewhere and it's somewhere in this apartment right now, but basically it is a very simple, short and sweet journal that anyone can use and anyone can do in five minutes or less if they are trying to improve their gratitude or just their journaling habit or practice. Um, I've gone through spurts where I've journaled a lot and I've tried different tools, apps, videos, pictures, uh, any ways that I think can add more context to my journaling. 
I remember when I moved down to Raleigh for the first time in 2015, I journaled my first 90 days being down there. And I still look at that from time to time as such an interesting experience in my life. First time moving away from home, first time in a corporate job, all these different things happening in my life, new apartment. And it was such an interesting experience to document and look back at. You guys also may have heard me say I have a horrible memory. So having that is an easy way to bring back all these memories or just look through pictures and see what it was like at the time. So I've been really liking the five minute journal just because it's simple. It can reinforce the journaling habit. And then it's also great for gratitude. This is something I struggle with uh, as well that sometimes it's just, it's hard for me to, to pick at new things to be grateful for. And there's a lot of prompts in this and there's a lot of different quotes in this book as well that can give you ideas. So we'll link that below. I'm, I'm not getting paid anything for saying it. I'm not an affiliate, but I just think it's a really good tool for anyone that's looking to work on their journaling practice or work on their gratitude practice. So without any further ado, awesome episode today with Willie Mandrell. All right, Willie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Hey, John. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And uh, just digging right in what we were talking about before, uh, a couple concepts that I think people are going to be really excited to talk about today as far as financial freedom and setting the bar and setting the number. Um, it's funny we were talking about that because I was literally just re-reviewing my goals before this call and going through my numbers and what I think I need to do, where I'm at relative to that, and then the actions I need to take. So um, I know we'll get into that a little bit later. So I'm excited to jump into your story and uh, especially just reviewing what your accomplishes, accomplishments are, just digging into those. So for those that don't know, you mind just giving a quick background on who you are, how you got started in real estate and what you do on a day-to-day -day now? Yeah, sure. Um, Willie Mandrell, been in the business uh, since 2006, so roughly 14 years now. I bought my first property in 2006, two family, and um, just been investing since. Uh, you know, I've... I've been in corporate America. I've done. I've uh, been in financial services. Had my Series Seven, my my stockbroker's license. Um, I sold cars in the past. I've worked for Bank of America. I've worked for Citizens Bank, which is uh, up here in the Northeast, and I think somewhere you know on the East Coast. Um, done a little bit of everything in the financial services industry. Had my insurance license. I'm also I was also a licensed mortgage broker at one point. So um, you know, financial services kind of is my is my thing, but. When, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010, the economy was really bad. I took a step back and tried to figure out what exactly I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I really wanted to kind of set myself up early and real estate has always been it. Um, you know, my grandparents were in real estate. I had some, some other friends that were doing it and I looked at, you know, I remember in economics, you know, classes, they, they were, you know, they taught us about um, you know, inflation, inflation eating away at your purchasing power, right? So the, the, the cost of good bread is more today than it was when you, the day you were born and it will be more when your kids are born or, you know, sometime in the future, right? So the cost of goods is going up and unless you're uh, getting an annual salary increase that it keeps up with the cost of inflation, um, then you're actually losing purchasing power, right? And if you're just getting a cost of increased living, uh, a cost of living increase, then you're kind of just, you're not really making any headroom for yourself. You're kind of just keeping pace. So in economics, they taught us that the only way to kind of get ahead of inflation is was you actually have to invest. You have to actually put your money to work that beats out, you know, the rate of inflation. And I really uh, took hold of that and that really kind of, you know, sunk in with me. So I started looking at different investment options and in the stock market and real estate and gold and antiques and everything. And real estate and the stock market were the two things that stuck out got my series seven, was in the stock market, but I just wasn't a big believer. There was no control. There was no real, uh, I didn't have, I, I can't, 
you know, if I invest in Facebook stock, that's great, but I can't control what Mark Zuckerberg does with the company at the end of the day, right? I can invest in Home Depot. I can invest in all these different companies, but at the end of the day, somebody else is in control of my financial future. I remember in 2008, 2009, you know, the stock market, you know, was way down. It's down 40% from where it was and it's high in 2006. Imagine if you were trying to retire in 2006, um, and you're, you're, you, you, you're, you said, Hey, I have a million dollars in my portfolio. And all of a sudden now that million dollars is 600,000. I saw a lot of people going back to work. I saw a lot of people uh, picking up side jobs, adjusting their retirement, spending less. I just didn't want that to be me. Real estate was, is what I found to be the solution to that, right? It's, it's, you can control it. You can manage it. You can, you know, you can rent it. It's, uh, you know, people are always going to need a place to live. So I know I'm giving you the long drawn out, you know, uh, background, but that's how I, kind of came around to this real estate thing and why I'm so gung ho about real estate is because I understand that investing is a necessity. Um, and I looked at my investment options and I say, what is out there? What options do I have? And if you look at all your investment options, I think most people would come to find out between appreciation, cash flow, debt pay down, all the tax benefits of real estate, all these different aspects, real estate kind of is, you know, um, you know, that, 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 that place to be. Totally. One thing you said that I, I think people forget is that even in the terms of the, the business and the legal side of real estate, it's, it's called real estate because it's a real thing as opposed right. to stocks, which it's a little airy fairy. Like you, you can't touch it. There's nothing that you actually have control of, but an actual property has inherent value that you can sell in a pinch on a secondhand market, or you can tap into for equity there's just, I think, a lot more uh, exit strategies and possibilities with it and net worth build. So really interesting there. One thing I just want to dig back to is you said you bought your first two units or duplex in 2016. Um, could, 2006. Oh, 2006, rather. Okay. Could we go back to that and just talk through the, the like main components of how you found it, how you financed it, and what type of deal it was? Yeah. Um, I like most people do when they buy in their first, their first property, um, especially here in the Northeast, I'm in Boston, real estate prices are really, you know, high, even back in 2006, that duplex cost me $400,000. Um, it'll probably be closer to eight today. Um, I actually still live right down the street from it. Um, sold it, you know, maybe four or five years ago, but purchased with an FHA loan, three and a half percent down. I was, um, fresh out of college at that, at that point, a couple of years, a year or two out of college. Um, my debt to income ratio is still pretty high. Um, debt to income ratio is basically just a bank that the measure that the bank uses to uh, determine, you know, whether you can, how much additional debt you can afford, right? Um, debt to income ratio is still very high. So I needed my mother to actually co-sign on the loan for me to get me in um, to the, that initial property. But FHA, three and a half percent down, pretty popular program for most people who are just getting into the, into the business. And I remember my mortgage at the time was, I think, roughly 2,500 bucks. Um, I remember interest rates were much different than they are today. I mean, I was, my first property, I financed at 6.75 or 6.75, which is, interest rates are probably half of what they were um, in 2006. My mortgage payment was roughly 2,500 bucks and I was getting roughly 1,700 bucks from the other unit, uh, covering roughly 60% of my mortgage payment, you know, by someone else. Got it. So would you call that first deal a success, um, a learning, a stepping stone? How would you describe it looking back or is there anything you would have done differently? That first deal was my education. Um, 
I say that because it's, you know, it was tough. It was a tough time to buy. I bought at the height of the market, right? In 2006, 2007, the stock market started to crash. 2008, the housing market was not too, not too far behind that. You know, my property itself, um, we didn't get hit, you know, as badly as some other areas of the country. But I mean, we probably took, I probably personally took a 20% uh, decrease in value um, from where it was, right? So I mean, you know, a $400,000 purchase, it probably was in the low threes by the, you know, by the bottom of the market. So I don't regret it at all, though. It was a great learning experience for me. I did some renovations. It taught me how to be a landlord. It got me in the business. It taught me how to manage my, my business like a business, uh, you know, rent collection, landlord tenant law, um, just the different, you know, how, you know, when heating systems go out, what do you do? Hot water tanks. It just, it was a big learning experience. And I don't regret it because during the upswing, I understood a lot about real estate that I probably would not have. And it allowed me to kind of build that portfolio in 2012, 13, 14, 15. And as the market started to swing back up. Totally. And just hearing you talk about it, it's like you can read as many books as you want. I've read all the books. I listen to all the podcasts, but it just, it's amazing how once you actually do it and you're in it, that first deal, there's so many things operationally that you can't learn until you do. You can't learn from a book. You can't learn how to ride the bike from reading about it. You just need to actually get on a pedal and feel what it is like to have to balance yourself and these things coming at you and bumps in the road. It's just, I, I think about it the exact same way. So where I'd like to kind of theme this conversation to next, as you talk about, I would love to hear about how you scale in your next couple of deals, but I'd like to talk about it from the frame of financial freedom and how and why you were doing this. Like if you were backing into a number, if you had a goal that then, you set and then that aligned with your strategy and the way you're going to execute getting to that goal. Could you just talk about if you had a financial freedom number and how that affected your strategy of acquiring these properties uh, and what happened after that first deal? Yeah, sure. So initially going into it, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about the scaling part, right? So I understood it was a great deal. I understood that I, you know, again, going back to the economics and, you know, inflation and, you know, investing your money and, and building something, I understood that real estate was it. I know I wanted to be in there. So uh, initially I uh, got my first property, a three, a two family here in Boston um, with a FHA loan. And then my wife, um, who was not my wife at the time, my, my girlfriend um, loved the strategy. We were talking about it all the time. I encouraged her to go out and get a three family, same thing, FHA loan. She lived there temporarily. And then um, I moved out of my two and was able to get another three um, within the FHA loan, you can actually, you know, uh, as long as you can refinance out of your FHA loan and then use FHA again, as long as it makes sense. So we're now sitting on, what is that five or excuse me, three, three, eight units, um, between the, the two of us. Uh, and then, you know, again, you learn the system, you learn the mortgage, the mortgage market, you learn what's going on. I'm a former mortgage broker. So I understood what was necessary. We also went out and bought a single family home, which we live in today. Um, with 5% down. So all low down money payments. Now we have eight rental units plus our single family home. We're kind of tapped out of it, you know, at that, at that point. And we start looking at more, you know, uh, different strategies to kind of get in and the BRR strategy and kind of start scaling up that way. But that was kind of for one sec. Can you just talk about what it means to be tapped out? Like why you couldn't keep going? Sure. Sure. So, so tapped out by tapped out. I mean, the banks are now looking at me as a real estate investor. Right. So when I say that, I mean, 
I could still buy other properties, but they're now looking at me as a real estate investor, not as a homeowner. Those first couple purchases, my wife was a homeowner buying multiple units. I was a homeowner buying multiple units. I moved from one city to another unit to another city and they allowed me to do it again. They look back in, at my, my portfolio now and they say, yeah, we don't really believe that you are trying to, to move into these properties. We feel like you're trying to build a portfolio now. So there's a certain point where your conventional low down payment lending you'll be tapped out of, right? So you want to be as strategic about it on the front end as you can, especially if you don't own anything. Um, you, and then, but you can still go and buy other properties with 20 to 25% down. But again, here in Boston, you're talking about, even at, back then, you're talking about a half a million bucks. So you're talking about, uh, you know, hundred to $125,000 down payment, which we obviously didn't have, you know, so we kind of went that, con, you know, a conventional owner occupied three and a half percent to five and a half percent before we, um, before we got tapped out, if that makes sense. Um, but in terms of, in terms of scaling up, I, I admit, I fully admit that when I first got in, it was just about getting rich. It was about just making money and, and cash flow and just buying property and, you know, taking control, but there was really no focus in mind. I think I would say maybe six or seven years ago, um, I really kind of sat down and thought about where I was going and wh what we wanted to do and what was the, the end game. And my wife and I sat down and we talked about the perfect lifestyle for us. We talked about what things would look like and how much money we, we needed to make and, um, you know, two cars and a nice house and, you know, kids paying for their dental care and private school, whatever it may be. You know, we wrote down a bunch of other things and we came up with a number and I'll share that number with you. And roughly, you know, based on our lifestyle here in the Northeast and things are you know pretty expensive here and not everybody will have the same number, but our number was roughly a quarter million dollars a year um, in passive cash flow. And if we achieved that, and technically, really, the number was roughly two hundred thousand a year, but we shot for a quarter million dollars, just because you can just sometimes you have vacancies and pandemics and everything else that we didn't want to disturb our lifestyle. So we're shooting for a quarter million dollars, and then we just broke the numbers down, and we basically said, well, if we can achieve, let's call it a thousand dollars per building, right? If it's two family or three thousand, uh, two family or three family, we're pulling a thousand dollars per month out of that building. Well, twenty buildings puts us at $20,000 a month times 12 months is roughly $240,000 a year, right? Just short of our 250. So I think we needed 21 buildings achieving that, that average number of about a thousand bucks a month. And that's what we did. And that's, that's what we're still, we're still, you know, short of that path right now, but that's what we're shooting for. And that's that financial freedom number that, you know, we hope to hit in the next few years. Awesome. Great answer. And I think more people, could benefit from having that mindset to know where they're going. For a while, I was doing the same thing, just taking tons of action. I didn't really have a goal. I just wanted to, I knew the actions were right, but then when I had a North Star, they became so much more controlled and condensed. So right. for you, how would you describe, or, or let's say there's someone right there, right now listening to this that's thinking the same thing. They're like, that sounds pretty good. I like the idea of two to 250,000 a year passively. I don't necessarily love my job. What advice do you have for them starting out on how they can get going doing that? Like what are their first steps to actually start moving in that direction? Yeah, your first steps is always, I mean, if you don't own a home right now, 
I always encourage every pe- everyone to buy a multifamily first. And even if you, you don't have to live in it forever, you can, you can buy it, you can stay there for a certain period of time and then move out. And the, the objection I always hear from people is, well, I don't want to live with tenants. I don't want to live in a multifamily environment. I, want, I like that single family lifestyle. I like the backyard. I want my dog to run around. I don't want anybody over my head or in, you know, beneath me, which is completely, I, I 100% agree with you. I'm, I'm the same exact way. We live in the suburbs now. And, but if you can make a sacrifice for a short period of time, right? And this is the, the, the speech I gave my wife several years ago, right? Is, you know, I bought the two family. I realized collecting rents was great. I realized somebody else was paying down my mortgage and making me rich. And then we bought it. I bought another one. Right. And I'm like, this is, this is terrific. How do I really scale? You know? And I, I tell a joke to people all the time. And if you've listened to any of these things, you've probably heard me say it before, but I, I wish I was, uh, I wish I was a Mormon because then I would have, I have more wives that can have more FHA loans that can really scale our, scale our portfolio, you know, um, or, or, you know, or Muslim or, you know, wherever polygamy is uh, allowed. So, <laughs> but unfortunately I'm not. So, you know, like I said, I have one wife, one FHA, one additional FHA loan that, you know, that we went out and got. And she, again, she was not my wife at the time. She had moved into hers mm-hmm. temporarily, um, knowing that she wasn't going to be there forever. Um, she was actually, you know, fresh out of college as well. And, you know, so we, so I would say, you know, do what you can to maximize that, that, that conventional lending on the front end, get yourself in, understand the business, learn as much as you can, listen to the podcast, go to the seminars, network. I mean, you know, I've learned so much from other people within my network. It is absolutely amazing. I've read all the books as well, all the rich dad, poor dads, all the Gary Keller books, all the, you know, think and grow rich, the millionaire next door read it all, but I've learned so much more from people right in my network who are doing the things that I want to do. So go out and get to those real estate investment association meetings, uh, meet those people. And, you know, like I said, let them know what you want to do. For me, I don't know that there's anybody who knows Willie Mandrell that doesn't know that I'm in real estate and exactly what I want to do. And because of that, so many different opportunities come my way. So just get yourself out there. Don't be afraid. Start calling yourself a real estate investor from day one. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, there's there's just a lot there that I think makes total sense. And for people that are trying to get their brand built, like letting everyone know what you do and equating it with that, one, they can come to you for help and advice. And maybe if you're looking to do coaching or masterminding or whatever, it just helps from that standpoint. But also people want to partner or they can bring you a deal or they can maybe lend you money. So it just leads to all these opportunities. I just think that's really spot on. So um, one question I had just as far as scaling the business and doing deal after deal common hurdle people run into is after they quote unquote tap out from let's say the amount of loans a bank will give them or the amount of properties they have is how do they keep scaling do they start raising money do they start borrowing money from private lenders or hard money lenders but basically it's a down the road problem like i don't want that to be the reason people don't get started but it is something that for me, like I have eight units right now and I'm actually living in a four unit. So talk about quality of life. When I first moved to Raleigh, I was living in a single family and I was like, oh, this is great. Now, five years later, being more educated, I'm making that sacrifice again. But anyway, so for me, that's how I'm trying to overcome hurdles and be creative. For you, how did you keep scaling or how do you recommend people keep scaling if they hit that limit from a bank loan or that number of units from a bank perspective? If you have, you said you have eight units now, and I'll speak to you specifically if you like, is that, yeah? So, so let's say, let's say, let's say if you have eight units right now, you have a size, you have a respectable portfolio, right? You have a resume within it, within the business. And it's difficult to do this when you don't have a resume, but there's always, 
your counterpart. You understand the real estate business. You may have more time um, and energy and the resources to go out there, find deals, manage deals, um, stabilize things, do renovations. Your counterpart, there's somebody on the opposite end of you who also went to schools relatively same age, and they decided to become a doctor. And the doctor, you know, they're a surgeon or whatever they, whatever their MD, whatever they're doing, they're working 70, 80, 90 hours a week, and they make a great salary. They are also looking at the same problems that you have with purchasing power. They're also looking at inflation. They're also looking at, hey, I don't really trust the stock market. They have $200,000 sitting in a retirement account. They have $200,000 sitting liquid in cash. They need someone like you on the other end to say, um, can I invest with you? I understand what you're doing right now. And this is part of brand building. This is part of going out there and putting yourself out there is I see what you're doing, John. I see you're, you, you bought this property, you bought this property. And I understand that you know, their prices are appreciating and you're paying down the debt and you're cash flowing. And that's great. How do I get involved? They are your money partners. They are, you, you may at this point not own 100% of the property, but there's a situation where you want to be able to bring them in and say, hey, if I can get $100,000 from you, you can come in as a 50-50 equity partner. And this is what I did on my first three family you know, deal here in Boston. I, I got into the property. I got the property under contract, understanding that I knew a couple of people out there says, hey, I need $130,000 to help me out with this down payment uh, and funding. And after that, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to fix up the property and it's going to be worth X more than what we owe on the deal. And we're going to rent it out for X because I've done my research and I know the market and I understand that. And at the end of the day, we're going to cash flow, you know, 2000 bucks from this particular property. You're going to be a 50% owner. I'm going to be a 50% owner. You're taking a thousand bucks and I'm taking a thousand bucks. And what I do to also sweeten the deal is we've actually created some equity as well. So a couple of years down the road, we're going to refinance this property and pull some cash out. And when the cash comes out, it's not going to come back out 50-50. It's going to come back out to you as that partner who funded the deal. You get your money back out first, and then we are 50-50 partners, if that makes sense, right? So that's how I kind of sweeten the deal is um, they're, going to, they're going to help me fund the purchase. We're going to uh, fix up the property, create some equity, not just sit around and buy a market-ready property and, and, and wait for appreciation to happen. We're going to force some appreciation and force some equity. And then we're also going to cash flow. We're going to take that cash flow and we're going to split it. And so both of us are kind of, you know, seeing something from us. But any at any at any sale point or any refinance point, they get their money back out, and then we continue to be 50-50 partners going forward. And that's how I've been able to scale um, is just being creative, finding other people who don't have the time and the resources and the knowledge that you have, but they have the funding. There's always somebody out there who is a doctor, an attorney, who owns a, a, dent, a, a dental practice, who is dedicated to their work, um, but has uh, the desire to invest with somebody like yourself um, and diversify away from the stock market on traditional investments. So this is something I don't want to move past because I think this is like the crux of investing that I think a lot of people get stuck on. And if you listen to a lot of podcasts, I think they kind of glaze over the details of this. So what I'd love to do is just address it from a two-part kind of like function. The first part is if someone's listening to this, how do they go about finding those people or having the conversation? And then the second part is if we can just dig into quickly the structure, you gave a high level of it, but I want to walk through like the actual logistics of it, like how much of ownership, how much of cash flow, and then how that refi would work a little bit. But yep. let's start with the first one. Someone listening to this right now and they're thinking, that makes sense. I have hustle. I have energy. I have the ability to manage a deal. I've been researching. I may have even done a couple deals so far, but I'm out of money. So what would that person do right then and there to find money in their network and have that conversation? 
So again, it all, it all comes back to initially, you can't do this with a two family, right? This is not, you haven't, you've bought your resident, your first residential property. Any investor, any savvy investor outside of somebody who's in your family, right? If it's your aunt or your uncle, you may be able to pull this off and, 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 and get that going because they love you and they want to see you succeed. But any, anybody else in your network may want to see a little bit more of a resume. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we talked about is the brand building. You're not, you can't be, you can't be in this business and be quiet about what you're doing. You have to, you have to, people see when you're not serious about this, right? You have to, the, the people are comfortable lending to me because they know at the end of the day that I live, I breathe, I, this is me, this is who I am. And, you know, I, and, I, and I'm not going anywhere. I put, you know, I put myself out there. So that's the other thing is really, truly, if you don't believe in yourself, no one else is going to believe in you. Um, so that, that is, you know, going out there, finding your, you know, your, your, yourself and then showing people your resume under, you know, taking people. The other thing that you can do is you can organize, let's say, you know, just, um, you know, I used to do webinars or rehab tours. I still bring people out to the properties that I'm rehabbing right now and just say, Hey, let's walk through. And this is how I found the deal and everything else. And there are going to be a lot of people that say, I can't do what he does, but I do have a good amount of money and I'd like to invest with them. So you're going to meet people that way, putting yourself out on podcasts and networking meetings and wherever else you can, you know, bigger pockets, getting on bigger pockets and stuff like that. And kind of just showing off your deals and putting blog posts about, you know, the, the latest deals, but that's, that's the branding side. When you talk about the specifics, right. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to kind of circle around here. So hopefully I don't lose anybody and I don't want to get too lost, but there are two ways to raise money. It's debt and it's equity, right? So let's break down the debt side first. Cause that's really the, the, the simple side is debt is just like, let's say for instance, the bank wants to give you, um, excuse me, let me back up for one second. You're not going to be doing this in your own name, right? That's, that's first off. When you get to a certain level, that first two, three, five, eight properties, you're probably buying it in John and Willie's personal name, your personal social security number. There's a certain point where you're going to convert and start using LLCs. You're going to start buying things in other entities, right? LLC is super simple to set up. You can set it up in one, one day. You can go to irs.gov, get yourself a separate tax ID, and you have another company. So it's 123 Main Street or whatever the name of your LLC may be. And a commercial lender would now lend to that LLC. And let's say they're going to lend 80% of the purchase price to the LLC. So you still need a 20% down payment. And here in the Northeast, let's say that's $100,000. Debt, the debt partner would say, I would basically go to them and I'd say, hey, I know you have $100,000 sitting in your retirement fund or your, your, uh, your you know, uh, uh, personal checking account. I know right now you're, in, you're earning 1% you know, in that, sitting in that checking account or that savings account. What if I was able to give you 12% on your money over the next year, right? They come in, they say, yeah, this is great. We sign a, a short-term promissory note. The attorney can draft it up for you really easily between Jonathan and Willie. Jonathan gives Willie the $100,000. I now am paying you 12%, which is $1,000 per month. And I'm going to take your $100,000, use it as a down payment on my commercial, my commercial note. And the reason they allow me to do that is commercial is a little bit different than residential. They care less about where the money's coming from and stuff like that. Obviously you can't be a drug dealer and you know, <laughs> they, don't want, they don't want you to be a money launderer, but I mean, there's less of concern about you having seasoned money in it being your account for two months and everything else. Sure. Take that, use it as a down payment. I now own the property. I'm gonna fix up the property, do what I need to do, get it stabilized and now it's cash flowing. And the ideal situation is I bought a property that's not only paying the bank back, but also paying you back. And, the, and, the, and what I'm gonna try to do is at the end of that nine months, 10 months or whatever it may be, I have the property stabilized. I'm going to refinance the property and consolidate those, your debt and the new bank debt into one loan, 
taking the cash out that I took and paying you off. I know that's, if you're not in this business, that's probably super complex and you're probably like, what is he talking about during half of that things? But that is the, the Burr strategy. So does the be buy, renovate, uh, rent and refinance strategy. Um, that's kind of the, the, the 2.0, the next level of this. Um, and then give me one second, I'll, I, the equity side of it um, is, very similar, but instead of John, you being my debt partner and me paying you, you're going to come in that hundred thousand dollars that you're now giving me or loan, buying the property. You are now an equity piece. And the question that you had is how do you determine how much, right? I'm a hundred percent owner. You're giving me the hundred thousand dollars to help me purchase this property. How much do I actually give you? Well, the, the question is how much money is going to come out of the property, right? And you know, I try to get you to a point where between the appreciation that's estimated, the debt pay down, and the cash flow that's coming out of the property, I try to get you to achieve, let's call it a 15% internal rate of return. And that all that internal, retainer, internal rate of return means is um, it's the combination of the appreciation, the debt pay down, and the cash flow that's coming out. And it's basically your return on investment with those couple, those three things combined. I try to get you, um, let's say a, a five or six is not sweet enough for you to kind of come into this deal, right? You can probably achieve that in the stock market. 20% is probably, I'm probably over achieving for you. I try to get you somewhere in between somewhere around a 12, 13, 14, 50% rate of return on your money um, where I can say, this is, this is a pretty good deal for you. You're probably going to achieve a lot more than what you would in the stock market. Um, but I still uh, receive. So I give up enough equity to you to achieve that number. So if it's 20%, if it's 25%, if it's 50%, whatever that number that, that, of ownership that you would need to own to achieve that return on investment, if that makes sense. Totally. And I, I do want to summarize it, but just one question before I do, is there a typical equity split that you have done? Is it 20% that they have for bringing the money? Is it 50% is it more than that? How do you typically split up the equity or like the ownership in the deal? It's, it's deal by deal. Um, it's it's all deal by deal. I mean, you you have like let's say if it let's say you know give you a baseball terminal, right? If you have a if you have a double, then you would probably end up giving up more of the deal because it's not that sweet of a deal, right? If I if I just found a home run deal, if I um, found a deal, let's say and in, in, in let's give you Boston terms, right? Um, you know, if I've, I'm picking up a property, I have a property under contract at five hundred thousand that I know I can put immediately back on the market and get 600,000 for, you're walking into the deal with $100,000 in equity, right? This person may have been someone who's just kind of like, dude, I'm, I'm tired of COVID-19 or coronavirus. I just want to sell this property really quickly and move to Canada. Okay, let me help you out with that, right? I'm, you don't you want to put it on the market because it's, it's, it's torn up and everything else. I'm going to give you the 500,000 that you're asking for, but I understand my market really well. And I know that I can probably put this thing back on MLS for 600,000. These deals are real. So I mean, this is not a hypothetical. This is, you know, very close to a, you know, a real deal. You're walking in. This is, this is what I would describe as a home run. If you're coming into this home run deal, I'm probably not going to give you 50, 50, you know, on the, on the equity split. There's a lot of upside into this right from the, right from the jump. I can probably go down to a 20%, you know, equity split on that deal because I know that if you're hesitant to work with me, there's, this is a very sellable deal. I can probably go to somebody else and, and, and butcher. So it all depends on the deal, how sweet it is, whether it's a double, triple home run type of, type of deal. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes total sense. So just to kind of sum it up and correct me if I make any mistakes in this, but it's basically what you're doing is you're going out and finding a property that has a potential value add or stabilization. And all that means is for someone listening, you find a property that you can either raise rents, make more operationally efficient, 
or just fix up to improve the value of the property. When you do that, if you come into the property, let's say you're going to require a down payment. And if you need extra money to acquire that down payment or acquire the property with a down payment, you can find a money partner. And in that case, the money partner is bringing what's called equity to the deal. That is the down payment that's going to fund the purchase of this deal. And for doing that, that is what earns them a percentage ownership in the deal. And what earns you a percentage ownership in the deal is that you found the deal and you put it together. So your 50-50 partners based on that or whatever partnership you guys determine, you buy the deal, you do the value add strategy, which might mean fixing it up, raising rents, cutting costs. And then at the end, you're paying that person either interest or debt, okay, depending on what your, your strategy is during that time. And then at the end of 12 months, what you're going to do is a cash out refinance if you've brought up the value enough. And then you can pay that person back fully of what they put into the deal. If they put in, let's say $100,000 and there's enough uh, in that cash out refinance and that, that model you talked about buying for five and it's already worth six, you pay that person back they get their, their equity back in, in their pocket. And then the deal is 50, 50 from there cash flow, equity and proceeds on sale down the road. Is that pretty accurate summary? Yeah. And the, the only, that is a pretty accurate summary. And the only caveat that the only thing I would add is again, this model, you're switching over to commercial lending. And when I say commercial, I don't want to confuse anybody. I think when people, people hear the word commercial, they think about supermarkets or Macy's or, <laughs> you know, a, you know, a mall. That's not necessarily true. Commercial lending is anything that's a, uh, you can actually buy a single family home with commercial lending. All commercial lending means is it's no longer in Willie Mandrell's name. It's in Mandrell Company LLC. It's in, you know, Jonathan one, two, three real estate LLC. It's, it's bought into an entity versus your own personal name. And if, if that, if you do that, um, you can really scale your business from there. Um, that's when, when you max, when you maximize, or like we talked about, get tapped out on that conventional side, you go over to the commercial side and then from there it's, it's uh, you know, you can scale as, as large as you'd like to be. Yeah. That's really good. I think that helps people that are just wondering how to do that and don't know how to structure the deal from the money side of it. So um, appreciate you doing that walkthrough. I know we kind of dug into it, but I think it's that important. So with that, Willie, you cool if we uh, move to the show wind down some rapid fire questions. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. All right, cool. So a common theme in investing and business uh, and definitely in, I'd say, personal development is surrounding yourself with the right people. Um, how do you do that? How do you think about it? Putting yourself around the right people, being the average of the five you surround yourself with, any coaching, mastermind programs, anything like that that, that you're part of or recommend to others? Again, it's just, it's just talking to anybody and everybody who wants to be involved and you'll be able to pick out, you know, the people who are, are serious about the business and anybody who you admire that's in the business. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a Tony Robbins or, a, you know, a Gary Vandachuk or anything like that. And when I say admire, I just mean people who are actually doing what you want to do. I mean, if they, they, if you're own two units and they own 10, then you should probably, you know, try to try to learn something from them. But I think the biggest thing in this business is, is not to get ahead of yourself. I mean, there, this is a get rich slow business. And, you know, in today's society, I think everybody wants everything tomorrow. They want to just scale so quickly and they want to be the, the Instagram sensation and they want to be, you know, the, the, this great story. And that's not the real estate business. You can make a ton of money in this business. You can make, you can build real, real wealth, but you have to be patient. You have to do things strategically. And I think most of all, you have to protect your reputation. Doing little slimy things in the business to get ahead just a little bit is going to kill you. And I know a ton of people who would have been 
very well off for themselves, but they tried to move too quickly and tried to, uh, you know, beat the system or get around certain things or doing, you know, you have to protect your reputation when it comes to agents, when it comes to mortgage brokers, when it comes to people who are in the business, uh, especially here in Boston. Boston's probably one of the, you know, one of the larger cities in the country, but it's, it's not that big when you, when you really think about it. There are people that come in and out of this business all the time. Um, but the people who are, are really doing things are the really, there's probably, you know, a small pocket of real investors, real agents, real mortgage brokers within this city. And those are the ones that are going to be around for 10, 20, 25. And you don't want to ruin your reputation with them or get known as somebody who's a little bit slimy. So just protect yourself, you know, uh, you know, have integrity. Um, and this business is great. I mean, you can build, you can build something truly amazing. Awesome. Great answer. Um, do you have a system or way that you manage your days or manage your time to make sure you're being most productive or working on the right tasks? Yeah. I, I mean, I read the, uh, the book, the one thing it's another, uh, great book by, if you haven't read it, Gary Keller, a uh, great author, you know, I think the millionaire real estate investor was the one book that kind of took me in, and said, this is what I want to do. And I can absolutely do this. But the one thing, and whether you want to be in real estate or not, you should absolutely read it. But in the book, he basically, you know, kind of outlines like, you know, I used to do notes for myself and I used to have 20 things that I needed to do for the day. And they were all kind of listed down the page. And the problem with that is you're not going to get 20 different things, either one of the things, if you're getting 20 things done, then they're really in, inconsequential and it really didn't, didn't matter. Or, you know, like I said, you're just not, they're not priorities, right? They're just things that you're doing. So the one thing basically teaches you kind of like, what is the one thing that I can get done today that if I got it done, nothing else would matter, right? If I achieve this today, then I'm still going to try to do other things. But this is the one thing that I can sit back and say, well, you know, today was a great day regardless. I got this thing done. So there's something that for every month I put my, my, my July goals together and I say, what am I going to do during the month of July? And here are the things that I want to do. And in each category, I have a personal one thing. I have a business related one thing. Uh, from my real estate brokerage. And then I have a rental portfolio, one thing, whether it be lease renewals or, you know, recruiting some new agents or whatever it may be. And personally, it's getting to the gym 10 times, uh, you know, especially during, you know, coming off of COVID-19. I haven't been to the gym in four months. So I mean, that's, that's definitely on the top of my list this month. Um, but it's just really kind of focusing on that, that one thing that, 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 that makes or breaks you, right? The one thing that says, if I get this done, or if I don't get this done, it is kind of, kind of, you know, want to make or break my month, but I still use a, you know, I'm kind of old school, still got the yellow legal pad. I tear off the page and things I didn't get done yesterday, go on today. And, uh, and just kind of, you know, just kind of focus on what needs to get done, but no real, I don't use any programs or any task, you know, task managers or anything like that. It's just really just saying, here are my goals for the month. Um, well, based on those goals for the month here, here's what I want to do today, this week and today, um, to get to, you know, those goals at the end of the month. Really good answer. Uh, I know you said maybe not that digital or, or it doesn't have to be like overdrawn, which I do agree with, but are there any softwares or CRMs or tools that you use day to day, either on your phone or your computer screen? Um, I've been using Quicken, uh, it's a Quicken rental property manager since, I don't know, since the very beginning. And it has helped me scale tremendously. When you get to a certain point where you own, let's call it, even if it's 20 units or, you know, five or six properties, um, managing the, those, those financials can be difficult. You have your personal checking account, you have your personal credit card, you have your student loans, you have your 
you know, your car payment, you have your rental mortgage and you have this mortgage and then you have your own personal mortgage. It's a lot of financials that you're going to be tracking, that you're going to be taking care of a lot of bills of your electric bill, your cable bill, your internet bill, your telephone bill. It is just a lot. Um, it, and then you add all the other bills, your water bills for each of the property, your insurance bills for each of the property. Rental property manager helps you kind of keep track of all that stuff. Um, what, what needs to be paid, when it needs to be paid and everything else. And it's been great for helping me scale my business. And for those of you who are like, hey, he may be exaggerating a little bit. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm serious. It's like, it is a lot of, of financials when you get into it because you know, for each property, you might have your operating account. Then you're gonna have maybe, let's say if it's three family, one, two, three tenant security deposit accounts. And then you'll have a reserve account for yourself uh, for each of those particular properties, because especially if they're all in different LLCs. And then I also have a backup credit card um, just in case my reserve account, you know, gets exceed for any major expenses for each one of those properties as well. So if you own 10 properties, that might be 40 or 50 different accounts that you have with various different lending institutions, different logons, different passwords. So uh, definitely find yourself if you're, if you're looking to scale in this business, definitely find yourself a good financial management software. And I found that rental quick and rental property manager was one of the best. Awesome. Quick thing. I don't think we touched on it. Do you manage yourself or do you have a property manager? Uh, I am a control freak, so I am still managing myself, but I need to get away from that very soon. Um, I've hired a rental property manager in the past. Um, my tenants called me up and was not happy with uh, his services. Uh, I immediately fired him and went back and I've been nervous about hiring somebody since, but as I scale, I need to focus my business back on the acquisition side and not on the property management side. Uh, so uh, to answer your question, myself still, but in the near future, as things start to grow, I really need to get away from that again. Got it. Makes sense. Tough to do though, but it makes sense. It, it, it uh, is very tough. Yeah. What are your favorite ways to stay educated? What platforms and what people do you like on those platforms? Um, staying educated podcasts. I mean, that's just, I mean, you can, the podcast has been, or have been huge. Um, I think not just for me, but throughout, you know, the country, because, uh, you can, you listen to them in the gym, you know, can listen to just probably somebody listening to us right now. It's walking around a track, right. Or lifting weights or, you know, doing something or while they're in their car. So it's just been a great way to kind of sit back and, and kind of take things in, rewind them and listen to them again. Um, I do it not only just for real estate. And one of the things I would, you know, encourage your listeners to do is it's not real estate is it's, it's, it, it, it is itself a business and real estate is great, but I mean, there are so many different aspects to real estate. So you want to listen to accounting podcasts, right? Marketing podcasts, um, you know, prop, the property management episodes, the, you know, uh, you know, how do you put yourself out there, you know, the branding stuff, you know, website design, mm -hmm. all these different things that you can help build your brand, help build you up in real estate. Um, just people management. I listen to a lot on just managing people because that's a big part of real estate as well. Um, you think about how many different people you go through and a guy, you know, I'm giving you a long winded answer here, but a real estate transaction involves two real estate agents, a buyer, a seller, an attorney, a mortgage broker, you know, sometimes, you know, multiple other, you know, uh, uh, you know, um, D transfer people and stuff like that. Just getting, just buying property. You have to learn how to manage yourself and managing people. So a lot of it is, um, you know, the psychology of just people as well. And, you know, all those, all those podcasts and informational things can be extremely helpful for you just as personal, as, as personal development. Yeah. One thing I found just thinking about that, any topic you're not clear on, there's a podcast about. Absolutely. You search those words and people are talking about it, dissecting it the same way that we just did. So 
anyone listening, if you're not clear on any part of this entire function or episode, just search those words in a podcast player and you will get much more clear on what that means. So yeah. very, very good point there. Um, what's next for you, 2020 and beyond? Uh, next is, you know, that's a really good question. Um, that is one of the things that, you know, as I approach this financial freedom number, right, as I approach things, I'm, I'm in a way getting a little scared. I'm, I'm a little nervous because I don't want to, I, I don't know exactly what's next, but I'm kind of sitting down and reevaluating the goals for the next 10 years and saying, what is it now that I want to do is I think, you know, it keeps, I keep coming back to the number of, you know, the idea of helping other people have, you know, uh, educating other people, getting out there and, and doing more seminars and, and really, un, you know, letting people know that this is a business that I don't look at myself as exceptional in any way, right? I mean, this is, it's really a simple business and just going out there. And I think people make it a lot more complex than it needs to be. So just going out there and educating other people uh, that need to know about this business that, that want to build a healthy retirement for themselves. Um, and then just seeing where things go from there. Awesome. Fun stuff. What do you like to do when you're not doing real estate? Um, not doing real estate. Travel as much as possible. I, I, you know, I've been to you know the 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 east a couple of times. I've been to Thailand, Germany, uh, Jamaica, Mexico. I just like to get out there and just see the world. I mean, every time I, you know, Italy. Every time I go somewhere, it's been you know um, an incredible experience, and it just broadens your horizon. Just you, you, it's amazing how much you can learn about real estate in Boston by just a trip to Italy um, and just different building codes. And you see them building out of the side. If you go down to the Amalfi coast, you see them building out of the side of a mountain. And you're just kind of like, you start to think about, you know, how does that get approved? How do you, how do you get approved? How do you get a permit approved to build out of the side of a mountain? Um, so it's just kind of, you know, just traveling and then Thailand as well, where people live, um, you know, the conditions that people live in, in different countries and stuff like that. It just gives you a lot of perspective and appreciation for, um, you know, your life here. So I would say, you know, just continuing, continuing that travel. Yeah, that's so true. Every time I travel, I think the same thing. I think once you get into real estate, you just you start looking at it from a different lens and my, everywhere you go. My wife uh, yells at me constantly because we'll, we'll, we're driving in the car and she's like, why can I see the back of your head? And it's because I'm looking out the, the <laughs> left side of the window. <laughs> She's like, shouldn't you be looking forward? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, probably. But I'm looking out of the left of the car at, you know, we're driving through a neighborhood and I'm just like, I don't know, real estate just, you know, it just, it pulls me in all the time. And I'm thinking about, you know, I drive by, you know, an old neighborhood and there's a ton of, you know, 4,000 square foot Victorian homes. And I'm thinking, Jesus must take you all weekend, every weekend to manage a property like that. You know, just kind of like, it's just, I like the things I like the, the brick brownstones of Boston. We power wash them every five years and we keep it, keep it really simple. So. Right. That's funny. Love it. Where can people learn more about you, what you're doing and uh, follow you on social? Sure. Um, I'm on traditional channel. I'm on Facebook uh, uh, backslash W Mandrell. I'm on LinkedIn, WJ Mandrell. Um, Instagram, WJ Mandrell. I'm on Bigger Pockets. Um, you can look me up there, Willie Mandrell. And then my website is mandrellco, M A N D R E L L C O.com. Uh, and if you go there, I, you know, in terms of that education and helping people, I, you know, I offer a 30 minute coaching call and you can get that at the, the backslash coaching. So mandrellco.com backslash coaching. Sign up. And like I said, you'll get a link and, you know, we can chat about, you know, helping you build your portfolio um, buying those first couple or whatever it is you need help with. Awesome. Okay. We'll link all that. Last question of the show. I ask every guest where I come from in 
business and, and try to start every relationship with is adding value before asking for value. I'm sure you get pinged a lot. Can I get coffee or help or this and that? And it's awesome. It's great. Uh, if someone was looking to bring you value before they asked for value, is there anything they could do right now to help you with something or move your business forward or start the relationship the right way? You know, that's an, that's an excellent question. Um, because I, I had like a YouTube rant one day, I got really upset <laughs> because you know what, I, I'll tell you a quick story. And there was like the kid that I, 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 great kid. He came to one of our, our meetups and he was like, you know, I'm really trying to, you know, get to where you are. And I'm on the south of the city. He's on the north of the city. And though it's only like 10 miles apart, if you if you're ever in Boston, if you know anything about Boston, <laughs> 10 miles is like an eternity, right? That's like, dude, that's, that's like probably an hour and a half in traffic. It's like LA or New York. It's, it's crazy, right? So he says, hey, um, you know, I really like to connect with you. I'm like, sure, when, when whenever. And he's like, um, I'm like, let's go to this restaurant on the South Shore. And he's like, but that's closer to you. Um, I'd like to meet somewhere in the middle, which is like the city itself you know, at a Panera bread. And I'm just kind of like, so basically what you're saying is you want to pick my brain for an hour and you want me to sit an hour in traffic and drive into the city um, to meet you. And that's just, that's just the wrong way to go about doing things. Right. Basically, if you're in this business, real estate is a, it's a great business. You want to sit down with somebody who's going to teach you how to make 50,000, a hundred thousand or build a million dollar portfolio but you don't want to sacrifice an hour of your day or two hours of your day or take, and that, that was the other thing. He said, Hey, I want to come to you and see you on a Saturday. And I was like, well, I have two kids at home and that's kind of their time. And he was like, but I work during the week, but I'm like, okay, well, let's think about this. If you make $25 an hour, right? <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. If you make $25 an hour, but you don't want to sacrifice that $25 an hour, that $50. So let's say even you take the whole day, that's $200 for the day. You don't want to sacrifice that $200 a day to meet with somebody who's going to try to teach you how to make 200,000, then your mindset is wrong. So to answer your question, just really just putting into perspective, respecting somebody else's time, understanding that, you know, like I said, uh, you have to be persistent. You know, I get people that email me one time and they, you know, well, then they see, I see them again in public somewhere in a meetup and they're like, well, I emailed you. You never got back to me. I'm like, well, <laughs> apparently you didn't, you didn't want it that badly. So, I mean, like I said, you know, I, and I'm not saying that people need to beg or anything like that. It's just, you have to be persistent. You have to understand that the people that you're going after are probably busy. They're actively, especially if they're actively involved in the business and just, you know, in terms of value, you know, you can be, you can have any skill, right? If you're, I need marketing, you know, if you know how to do video marketing or video editing, that's something I can use. If you're, if you're in marketing in any, any, you know, website, website design, I have, 20 websites out there. You can help me out with a website design. If you're in event planning, I do event planning. You can help a real estate you know, a agent or an investor out with event planning. There's always something that you can offer. If you're a writer, can I help Willie? Can I help you break down a video and put it as a blog post on your meet? Of course you can. Of course, you know, that, that, that would be helpful. Um, I know you do meetups. Can I help you organize and kind of just, you know, you know, do check-ins at the front door for the meetup or whatever it may be to help you kind of make your life a little bit easier, organizing your schedule. There is always something that you can do to help somebody else out and to eventually help yourself out. If you're looking to, you know, like I said, take that person's time and, 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 and try to pick their brain as, as we say. So, yeah, I love that answer. I think most people have, I think most people have good intentions with it. They just may not know to ask the four things that you just said and now if they know that they can, and that's why we asked, that's why I asked the question, but um, yeah, it's super frustrating. And I, like I said, I don't know if people know how they come off when they say something like that, to the right. person, but it just comes off so poorly. It just, it, it's a total turnoff, like to the person that is actually liking the idea of helping, yeah. but 
you know, you got to meet someone in the middle. I heard someone say this once that anytime someone reaches out and asks them for help, they ask them to meet them at a Starbucks right next to their house at six in the morning on a Sunday. I, that's, that is, that is perfect. Yeah. If they're not willing to do that. You know where they are. Immediate. And it's like, if they do it, okay, then they've taken a first step that this person could be potentially special. If not, then they just go in the bucket of, you know, the other 80, 20 of 80, 20 that aren't. So it is what it is. But um, Willie, I had a lot of fun with this recording, man. This is awesome. You dropped tons of tangible knowledge, which is the best type of guest on the show that I think can help enable people to get started and take the first steps in their investing journey. Um, before we hop, any parting words, last comment, um, or call to action for the audience? You can do it. That's, that's all it is. Not everybody's going to. You had mentioned the 80-20 rule just two seconds ago. And that, that's probably what if, if we were my, my, for those of you who have children, have you seen the Incredibles movie? The Incredibles say, hey, if everybody was incredible, no one would be. And that, that's, that's, part of the, that's part of life, right? If, if everyone was successful, no one would be. But the point is that each one of you have the opportunity. It's the greatest country in the world. Any of us can do it. It's just up to you to go out there and, and, and make it happen. Awesome. That's so good. I might need to check out the Incredibles. I haven't seen it. <laughs> great, movie. Like, great movie, by the way. Like <laughs> I watched a lot of children's movies in the last few years. So That's awesome. All right. Well, Willie, thank you so much for coming on, man. Seriously enjoyed it. And uh, best of luck to you in 2020 and beyond. John, I, I appreciate you having me on. And take care. Right. Awesome. Hey, you millennial millionaire. Do you want more? Then head to the Millennial Millionaires Through Real Estate Facebook group, where there are tons of step-by-step walkthroughs, tools, templates, and free networking to help you achieve financial freedom through real estate. And if you want Jonathan to help you personally reach your goals, then feel free to set up a one-on-one call in the link below or message him on any social media platform and apply to, well, work with Jonathan. 